I hope you have a Bible with you today. I'd like you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 1. We are today starting a series on the book of Romans. We are going to be going verse by verse through the book of Romans. Most of you, well let me put it this way, if you're not somebody who was here 13 and a half years ago when we started it last time, most of you have probably never gone through Romans verse by verse in church. The idea of if I could use the term, expository preaching today has fallen on hard times. Most churches don't do it any longer. They give topical, and and I understand that, and there's a place for topical. As a matter of fact, we just got done doing two series that were topical. So I'm not against that. But God has given us the scriptures as they are. And remember that there were no chapter divisions or verse numbers in the original text. They were letters, I've entitled this series, if you wanted a theme for it, it would be God's Marvelous Plan for Man. God's Marvelous Plan for Man. Now the writer of this epistle was the Apostle Paul. And the theme of it, as I've already given you, is God's Marvelous Plan for Man. Now usually the theme that's given for this, and I have done this as well, so great salvation, it's appropriate, it is that. Salvation by grace, it certainly is that. But I was thinking in terms of what could we do that would speak to, you know, for those of us who have been uh, students of the Word of God for any period of time, we get that, salvation by grace. We get it. We understand what that means. But for the world in which we live today, they don't have a clue. What is salvation? What do you mean? What is grace? Oh, yeah, I get it. That's what you Christians do before you sit down to eat, all right, or after you sit down to eat. So I was thinking, what in the world could we maybe connect with? Well, God's marvelous plan for man. By the way, it's salvation by grace, okay? And all that that entails. Romans was written around A.D. 57, around A.D. 57. And so 35 or so, 35 to 40 years before Jesus, or after Jesus was here, I should say. It is my conviction, though, as we go through this book of Romans, it is my conviction that Romans, the book of Romans, is the key and the most complete book to unlocking the Word of God. All right? They might say, well, what about Genesis? Yeah, certainly Genesis 1 through 11 is key. But Genesis 1 through 11 only takes us so far. Does it lay a foundation? It absolutely lays a very incredibly important foundation. But you know what? The truths of Genesis are actually found in the book of Romans, in chapter 1 in particular. No, I think Romans is the key. It's the most complete book to unlocking the Word of God. It is the foundation for our understanding of the Christian faith. And so it is something that is incredibly important for us to understand as Christians. Now, Romans unfolds the marvelous plan of God for all mankind. And let me say that. It is for all people, not just a select few. It tells us who we are. It tells us what our problem is and the solution to the problem. During this series, we will be covering many, many topics. Let me give you some of those, though, this morning. Among others, salvation in all tenses, past, present, and future, justification, redemption, freedom from sin. We'll be looking at, uh, the Romans covers the two natures of the believer. 
our future in Christ. The nation of Israel, past, present, and future for them. Yes, Israel has a future according to the word of God. What it means to be a dedicated Christian, using our spiritual gifts properly as believers. Christian liberty, our relationship and responsibility to the government, to the government, dealing with error in the church, and many, many more. Can I say this morning, Romans is a very rich book. And this is where we're going in the next year. I don't think it'll be quite a year long, but we'll see how that goes. Romans was written from Corinth, okay, during the Apostle Paul's third visit to that city. And I think it is rightly placed first among his epistles, his letters, because it is the most complete exposition of the central truths of Christianity. Years ago, there was a commercial for Prego spaghetti sauce. Some of you probably remember it. And, uh, you know, there was this Italian family and, and they're saying, well, what about this? What it's in there. It's in there. It's in there. It's in there. Basically, everything's in there. Okay, guess what? Everything's in Romans. Everything's in Romans. The letter had its occasion in the fact that Paul wanted to visit the Roman believers and communicate to them the great doctrines of salvation by grace that had been revealed to him. Now, let me say this. Paul did not start the Roman church, but he is very well aware of them and uh, what it was that he was going to communicate to them. The key verses, as we've already mentioned this morning, Romans chapter 1, if you want to look at that with me, Romans 1 verses 16 through 17. I'm not going to give a lot of explanation on this right now. This will be defined as we go through and especially once we get to verses 16 and 17. But Paul said this, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Very incredibly powerful truths. Now let's go ahead now and let's jump in. Chapter one, verse one. Boy, I love saying that. Chapter 1, verse 1. Let's dig in, all right? Romans chapter 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. All right? We see many things here in these opening verses. And let me just lay a little foundation as we go through. The first is this. You notice that Paul said he was, he was a servant of Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting, too. He considered himself first a servant, then an apostle. First a servant, then an apostle. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, the idea is a bond servant, a bond servant. Now, I know people say, well, it's referring to, it's, it's a word used for slave, all right? It is a word used for slave. But the idea was a bondservant. The idea was really taken from in the book of Exodus, that there are people and they were, they were yes, they were bought, they were slaves, okay? Now, when we think of slaves nowadays, we think of something absolutely abusive, being whipped, being, uh, being mistreated, being mishandled, treated like an animal, and all of this. 
I'm against slavery in any way in, in that regard, people to people. I'm against anybody being the slave to another person, okay? Let me make that very clear today. However, from a biblical perspective, okay, which is way before what we know in our, the, you know, one of the dark spots in our history as a nation, before that ever came about, a bond slave was somebody who, yes, they belong, quote unquote, to their master, but what happened was their master treated them extremely well, extremely well. And what happened was that it came time where that, where that slave, that bond servant, their time was up and now they could go free. But they loved the master so much that they said, I don't want to be free. And by the way, they usually had families too. I don't want to be free. I want to continue on as a bond slave to you because I love you and I want to serve you. So they, what they would do, there was a process they went through and they would go and they would take the person and they'd go and they'd basically they'd put their, their ear on a block of wood and then they would take an awl and they would go through it and, and they would uh, have an identification in that regard for that person. And then that person then was a bond servant for life. But it was their choice. It was their choice. This is what Paul had in mind. Did he have to live for Christ once he was saved? No. But out of love for the master, he decided this is what I want to do with my life. And so I like the word and by the way, it's translated both ways in our, in our Bibles. Doulos is the word. Translated both ways, servant and slave. All right? Servant and slave. Now, I know we just, we, it's hard for us to shake the idea of a slave. You know, we think of a slave and we see somebody that is, that is in bondage and that is suffering and that is being abused and all of that. That's not the picture here. This was a willing place that Paul found himself. The attitude Paul had was that he was a bond slave of Christ. Now, while he was set free as a person because he had trusted Christ as Savior, he voluntarily became a bond slave out of his love for the Lord Jesus Christ. His whole reason, here you go, folks, his whole reason for living was now to live for Christ and to fulfill the desires of his master. That's why he lived his life, and that's very clear when you read what he's written in the scriptures. Now, someone may say today, this is the way our society is, I will never be a slave to anyone. Let me tell you something, dear friend, that is absolutely false because the truth of it is this, you are always a slave to something. That's the truth of it. Many people are slaves to their own faulty ideas about life and about living. There are people who say, I'll never be a slave to anyone, and yet what do they do? They'll go and they'll take drugs. What are you a slave to? You're a slave to that. They'll take drugs, or they'll be a slave to alcohol. They'll be a slave to the love of money. They'll be a slave in bondage. They'll be a slave as the in bondage. They'll be in bondage to 
the issues of, of popularity, okay? They're addicted to the idea of being popular. You know, they wanna, they're always looking, how many friends do I have on Facebook? And, and all these kind of things, and, and all of, just that whole thing. They'll be a slave to materialism. Hold your place here in chapter one. Go with me to chapter six. Romans chapter six. This is just kind of like a little bit of a preview on one of the sections where we're going in our study. There's two masters. There's either the Lord or your flesh, okay? You're a slave to one or the other all the time. So am I. It's either the Lord or the flesh. Now, if you've not trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, you're a slave to your flesh, your old sin nature. I say, oh, not me. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Romans 6.16, it says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey... His servants ye are to whom ye obey. Here you go, two choices. Whether of sin unto death, having to do with the destruction of the life, or of obedience unto righteousness. See, you know where we get into trouble as Christians today? Here's where we get into trouble. We want to be somewhere in between. We, well, I don't really want to go all out for the Lord, but I, I'm not, boy, and you're not going to get, I'm not going to take drugs and this and that. And so we think we're in a safe zone. No, friend, it's either the flesh or the spirit. It's either the flesh or the spirit. Go back to chapter one. It says in Romans chapter one, in, uh, in verse one again, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, okay? Notice what Paul was, Paul was called an apostle, literally. The words to be there are not in the actual text, okay? They're italicized. The idea of an apostle, the word apostle means a sent one. Now, yes, there were formal apostles, but the, the word simply means a, a sent one. And this was more to him than just an office. To be an apostle for him was a way of life, as the verse bears out. It's interesting here. Because this idea of it being a way of life, it says called to be an apostle, okay? More correctly, called an apostle. But what's real interesting here, in the language, the word called is not a verb, it's an adjective. Paul was a called apostle. That is the truth of it. He is literally a called apostle. In other words, it was God's will for him. God called him, he called him. Now you might say, well, I have a hard uh, time with that called thing. I'm afraid, you know, is that Calvinism or this or that? No, the word called is in the Bible. It's not hard to understand, no. Just think of it this way. How many of you have a phone? When that phone rings, guess what? Somebody's calling you. There's a call coming for you. God is doing the same with people. But here's the issue. You have the will, the freedom, whether you're going to accept the call or not. All right? Sad thing today is many believers have their uh, do not disturb button pressed when it comes to God's calls coming through. Not a good place to be. No, Paul was a willing apostle. He was a called apostle and he took the call. And he took it seriously for his life as to be a sent one, 
Okay, and that, of course, is very practical for us as well. Notice a third thing here in verse one. It says, Paul was separated into the gospel of God. Now, I want you to understand this today because this is a, this is a major issue. This is one of the most important things to us as a local church here at Northland. He was separated into the gospel. The idea is set apart to, okay, set apart to the gospel. Being separated to the gospel is the greatest of all separations, and it's a positive one, not a negative one. When we think usually of being separated, we think of getting separated from something bad, okay? No. This separation is a positive one. It is separation to something, and that something is the gospel, the good news of Christ, and I'll say more about that in just a moment. It was his life purpose. This is why he lived. This is why Paul went through what he did, the hardships, the difficulties, the persecution, the beatings, the, the floating in the Mediterranean Sea for long periods of time, all the different things that we see. Why in the world would he put up with the things that he put up with? It was because of the gospel. He was separated. He was devoted to that. This was his message. This is what he lived and breathed as a Christian. So important. Hold your place and look just a few pages back to your left in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Now, you know what's amazing to me today? And listen, I know what I'm talking about on this. Just trust me. And if you don't believe me, try it. Most people who claim to be Christians, if you ask them what is the gospel, they can't even give it to you. Did you know that? Not accurately. They can't tell you what it is. I'd say, well, that's just so foundational. It is for us because we spend time on it. We understand how the importance of it. Why is it so important? Because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. In Acts chapter 20, though, Paul was seeing the Ephesian elders for the last time. It was a very emotional meeting that he was having with them. And he knew that there was, the Lord had told him, your future is bright, but it's not void of difficulty. You're going to have some real heavy persecution down the road here. The storm clouds, you can see the storm clouds gathering for you, Paul. And look what he said in verse 24, Acts 20, 24. He says, but, but none of these things move me. They don't unsettle me. None of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear unto myself so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. This was his ministry, okay? Now there's a lot that was within that, but that was his ministry. That was his flag, Okay, this is the flag he flew, so to speak, in his life. Now let me say, if you read the Bible and accept it for what it says, and you start defining words, and you start taking the Bible and believing what it says, not believing it in the context of Christendom today, but believing it in the context of the Bible, the importance of this, on a corporate church level, the gospel provides a practical purpose of separation. What do I mean by that? It means this, friend. It means this. This is a foundational issue. 
And the idea of separatism or being a separatist, okay? Being a separatist is not a pharisaical, self-righteous thing. Now, I know some people do, you know? We're better than you. We don't run with you because we're better than you and all this kind of stuff. No, 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 no. We are separated unto the gospel. This is the main thing because this is the foundation of all things. And so here you go. It provides a practical purpose for separation. It is foundational. Now, here's, here's what I'm saying. If we can't agree on salvation, we really have no basis for fellowship with other people. Sooner or later, that fellowship is going to become uncomfortable. Now, my definition for fellowship, the the practical one, is two fellows in the same ship, all right? Two fellows in the same ship. Now, if, if we can't agree on the gospel, and that's the foundation, then wouldn't you agree that what we're trying to build in our fellowship or relationship is something that sooner or later is gonna be full of all kinds of problems? And that's true. Years ago, we were part of an uh, international fellowship. And that international fellowship, while it had a good doctrinal statement, there were a lot of people in it which were what we call lordship salvation. Many of them having been heavily influenced by Dr. John MacArthur, who preaches a false gospel. A false gospel. If you don't know that, you need to learn that. Here's the point, though. You're part of something like that, and then things come up as you're trying to fellowship, as you're praying together, as you're sharing ideas for ministry. Things come up, and and they'll say something that's like, they're promoting his teaching. It's like, wait a minute. His teaching does not line up with our what we agreed on as far as part of this fellowship. Well, by the way, that went on for many years. Now, he's out of the IFCA. That's the IFCA is the organization. He's out of that fellowship now. But I'll tell you what, folks, the IFCA lost many, many members over the years because they would not confront him properly about his false gospel and about Calvinism. He's a Calvinist. He didn't start that way, I don't believe, but he became a Calvinist over time. And they wouldn't confront them. And you know what? A lot of us is like, you know what? Forget it. I can't pretend anymore on this. And so years ago, our elders voted unanimously to leave, and we did. I sent them a very direct but kind letter. And I said, you're going to have to choose which horse you're going to ride. You're either going to ride true salvation by grace, or you're going to ride lordship salvation. You can't pretend that everybody's saying the same thing, because they're not saying the same thing. And by the way, to pretend that with people who are theologians, and Bible teachers, and preachers, you are in la-la land. Because they know exactly what they're saying. Now, I know there are some who have never really thought about it much, but that's where we, we can learn things. What am I saying? Here's what I'm saying, folks. This truth of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, this is our flag in this church. It's been that way since day one. And we're not changing. Now, we would love to be able to help people see the truth, and we want to win the loss to Christ, and we want to even help people in ministry see the truth. But I can't have somebody in this pulpit who's preaching a false gospel, okay? It's not going to happen. Why? Because this is foundational. 
This is the foundation of everything we stand on as a church. And so sooner or later, if you're trying to fellowship with people who have a false gospel as their foundation, sooner or later, that's going to become very uncomfortable. And then you're going to have to get out of that situation. And let me say this today, it's easier to stay out than to get out. Keep that in mind. Not trying to be hard or hard to fellowship with, but this is a non-negotiable. Now that leads us to, of course, number four, what is the gospel? <laughs> Keep saying the gospel, the gospel. What are you talking about? Well, let's, let's look at it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The word gospel means good news. Good news. I'd say, well, that's nice to know, but good news about what? Good news in the sense of our taxes are not going to go up next year? Well, that would be good news, but... Um, That's not what we're talking about. Good news about what? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 1, it says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. If you remember... Okay, what I preached unto you. The idea of if you keep in memory. In other words, if this is what you believe and this is what you hold to. All right? Notice what he says. And why is that so important? Well, the context of chapter 15 explains what he's talking about. You notice he says, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Believed in vain. In other words, without reason or without cause. That is, if the resurrection was not true, you would be believing in vain. Why? Because it makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, your faith is futile. It's empty. There is no good news if Jesus didn't come back from the dead. So if you believed in him and he didn't come back from the dead, you're believing in vain. If the resurrection was not true, Paul preached the death and resurrection to them and they believed it. But if the resurrection is not true, then they believed error and therefore they believed in vain. That's what that's talking about in verse two. Verse three though, look at it, it says, so verse one, what is the gospel? Verse two, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Listen, simply put, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ did when he died for our sins, was buried, and rose from the grave to prove it was done. It is the good news because of Jesus Christ's accomplishment. That is the gospel, and it is good news what he accomplished for us. Why? Because we could not do it ourselves. That's why. You can't save yourself. Your good works will not save you. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Or you can look up here, the new uh, sign that we have, poster, whatever you want to call it. And what does it say? For by grace are you saved, through faith, faith in Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and rose from the grave. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. I like to explain it this way. This hand, this were to represent you and me, and this wall, it represents our sin. This is the bad news. We are sinners. 
God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. See, our sin separates us from living forever with God in heaven. Because to go to heaven, you have to be perfect, and none of us are. Not only that, but God says, your sin has to be paid for. There's a penalty that goes with it. The wages of sin being death, separation from God, forever, forever. Now, religion says, well, I will do good works, and that will take care of my sin. But there's not a verse in the Bible that says that. See, friend, you gotta be perfect. Even from this day forward, if you lived a perfect life, it still doesn't take away the sin. We need a payment for the sin. We are incapable of saving ourselves. That's why good works, you notice it says, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. Oh, people want to argue that all the time. No, no, you have to. Don't tell me it's just by faith in Christ you're saved. You have to live the Christian life too. You have to live a a right life. Man, if you don't live a right life, you're not saved. You're not gonna be saved. This is what you hear all the time. See, they still have faith in their works as a way of saving them. Now, salvation comes when you understand, I am lost. I am hopeless. I don't have a chance And if somebody doesn't come to my rescue, I'm going to be lost in hell for all eternity. And that's true. But the good news is this, saying representing the Lord Jesus Christ. He came and when he died on the cross, he took all of that sin that we've committed or will commit. He took it all and he paid for all of it when he died on the cross. He was buried Remember, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And if you believe that message for yourself, if that is where your faith is, is in Jesus Christ and the payment he made for you, he saves you by his grace, his unmerited favor. Through faith in Christ, you are saved. All right, what a wonder. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, more and more as Calvinism grows nowadays, they keep saying, well, it is the gift of God. That refers to faith. No, it doesn't refer to faith. The construction there does not, does not support that, nor does it make any sense. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is not faith. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what it's referring to. That's what it's referring to. Now let's go back to Romans. So Paul was separated into this unto the gospel of God. And what is the gospel? That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried, he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. If you believe or trust in him as your savior, he saves you forever. That's good news. That's good news. But you know, if somebody came along and said, no, wait a minute, you, you have to promise that you're going to do this, or you have to promise that you're gonna turn from your sins or give this up, or start this, or stop that, and all these different things that people come up with. Friends, then you're adding to faith, and not only that, you're violating what's called grace, because grace is unmerited, undeserved. Undeserved, unmerited. If you getting to heaven was based on you cleaning up your life, as good as that may be to do, okay, as far as cleaning up your life, you know, sure, 
We're not for people living in sin, okay? But if that's where your faith is and you cleaning up your life, you are trusting in your own merit, not what Christ did for you. And you, you don't get saved. You don't get saved by that. You're only saved when you realize you can't save yourself and you put your faith in Christ instead. Okay, it's one or the other. You're either gonna trust in yourself to take care of your sin or you're gonna trust in Jesus that he did it for you. When you trust in him, you have eternal life. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out, okay? Now I know there are people who hear this and say, why do you keep talking about this? Because it's the power of God into salvation and we want people to be saved. Just that simple, it's not complicated. We don't want people to go to hell. So let's make it as simple and accurate as we can because we want people to get it because we want them to be saved. Romans 1, verse 2. Well, verse, verse 1, again, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Okay? This payment for sin had been promised in the Old Testament. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. He's of the lineage of David. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of Christ is the proof of who he said he was and the proof that biblical Christianity is true and that Christianity is real. Okay? No other faith has a savior who is God himself who died for our sins and rose from the grave. It's only Christianity. The resurrection, by the way, is what makes the gospel the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 17, it says, and if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, ye are yet in your sins. The resurrection is necessary Chapter 4, Romans 4, 25, it says, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. No resurrection, no justification. No resurrection, no confirmation from God that our sins are paid for. Listen, friends, if Jesus didn't come back from the dead, he then was a casualty then of death and sin. But you see, he could come back from the dead, number one, because he was God, and secondly, is because he was our sinless substitute. He had no sin of his own to pay for, and so he was raised. Romans 1, verse 5, it says, By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Number five, we have received grace and have been commissioned to obey the Great Commission. We have been commissioned to obey the Great Commission. Let me just get direct on this this morning. Every Christian, every person who has trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior is responsible to be a witness for him. Okay? I know that scares people. I know it troubles people who are believers. But friend, you've got to go beyond yourself and understand we've got a responsibility to share this good news with the world in which we live. If we don't witness, we are being disobedient 
to him. Verse 6, among whom are ye also called of Jesus Christ? Then he says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints or called saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Here again, verse 7, literally called saints, okay? He is writing to believers, and can I say today, every believer is a saint. Every believer. This does not mean that every religious person is a saint. A saint is one who has been made pure and holy through faith in Jesus Christ. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you are a saint, okay? No religion in the world has the authority to deem people as saints, okay? You live a life, you live a a pious life, you try to live a, a godly life as a person, you're trusting in your works, you believe through living right you're gonna get to heaven, well, friend, if that person dies, they're not going to heaven because they've been trusting in themselves. Not in, they, didn't, they never trusted Jesus Christ alone as Savior. They don't go to heaven. But yet the very same churches that believe that and that teach that, then after a period of time, they decide, well, you know, that, that person did so many righteous works. We are going to declare them a saint. You have no right to do that. God is the one who declares who's a saint and who isn't. And the saints are those who have trusted Christ. There's two groups of people in the world. There's the saints and the ain'ts. And if you haven't trusted Christ alone as your savior, you're an ain't. Even though you may try to live like a saint, you don't get to heaven by living saintly. You go to heaven through faith in Christ. Turn with me over to um, Hebrews chapter 10 says in verse 10, talking about God's will here, it says, by the which will we are sanctified. That's what it means to become a saint. The word saint, sanctify, holy. They're all the same root word, hagias. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. You notice how we're sanctified, how we become a saint? It's through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Not through our good works, not through the declaration of some religion. No, it's through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So, We're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Once you trust Christ as Savior, for through that one offering he made for us, he has perfected us forever. Now, if you're perfected forever, where are you going to go when you die? Heaven. See? Again, it's not by our works. It's by the work of Christ on our behalf. And when you trust him as Savior, he gives you everlasting life. Friends, can I ask you this today? Have you believed the gospel? Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ and him alone as the one who died for your sins, was buried and rose from the grave three days later? Have you trusted him as your only hope for heaven? If you haven't, you're not saved. You're not going to heaven at this point. I urge you right now to trust in Christ. If you have trusted Christ as your savior, the Bible says you're saved. You've been sanctified. You've been made pure and holy. You've been set apart for God. What a glorious thing that is. Trust Christ. Would you do that? 
Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.